0: Great to have you with us once again on the Cover Crop Strategies podcast, brought to you by Verdesian Life Sciences. I'm your host, Noah Newman. First generation farmer James Hep is on the hot seat this week. Let's waste no time diving right into the conversation. Here's James. Hi, uh, my name is James Hep from
1: Rackville City, Iowa, uh, located in Townview County, uh, north central Iowa. Uh, I farm row crop, corn, soybeans. Uh, 1,400 acres, and I've been incorporating cover crop more and more each year. Uh, I also do a lot of strip-till with it. Um, the last few years, uh, I've been doing a lot of rye.
0: Well, we'll get into the details of your cover crop uh, system there, James, but I wanted to start with a little bit more about your background. Just, just give us your origin story. Do you come from a farming background, or are you first generation, or, or tell us about that.
1: Yeah, um, actually, I'm a first-generation farmer, and uh, I just had a, an article in the in a magazine here recently by uh, darcy Malsby. and it kind of tells my story uh grew up Rockwell city uh, my dad's a mechanic had a repair shop uh i was always around farming my grandpa farmed um but just never had the chance to farm uh, so i went to uh did a lot of ffa stuff in high school and that really intrigued me um, and led me down my ag business career path uh, through iowa central and northwest missouri state uh, then when i came home i was a crop insurance adjuster for several years Uh, and that kind of got my foot in the door with a few people and then it ended up one of my high school friends his dad was going to retire so he wanted me to help help him Um, so I began helping him and a couple years later things went so well he decided to kind of turn the reins over to me so I'm on my about third year of farming with him and I'm basically I've taken over majority of the acres now he still helps me whenever he feels like or whenever he can uh, which is very helpful and I'm still learning a lot from him but uh I've been doing that. I got married here two years ago now, so my wife's been helping me, and we have an eight-month-old son, Karsten. So hopefully, he'll be helping me one of these days, also.
0: Oh, I'm sure he will. That's pretty exciting stuff. I mean, I don't—we don't get to talk to many first-generation farmers, and so I mean, how's it been? Just your first three—you said three years now—you've been doing it, so a lot of learning experiences, I'd assume.
1: Yeah, um, with my crop insurance job, I had a lot of uh, like downtime in between stuff. So I was able to help a local farmer for several years, and uh, he kind of taught me everything I needed to know. Um, so I wouldn't—it would be a lot harder transition if I went have work for him. Uh, but like equipment operations, maintenance, all that stuff, I kind of learned all that from that guy. Um, so I kind of give him props for that. Um, so it hasn't been near as bad. Um, it just. You know, you go from just farming a little bit more for fun to, you know, making decisions, paying bills. Uh, that gets kind of scary when you see all the zeros behind the money that you borrow for stuff. Um, but other, otherwise, it's been a really good transition. Um, Keith, the guy I farm with, I don't think he could find a better person, uh, more understanding, more patient. Um, he's been very helpful. Uh, I think we've we worked together really well. He's taught me a lot. Uh, we've bounced a lot of ideas off each other. Um, there's not a lot of first-generation farmers, but I think there could be in the future. Um, I've Since my article has come out in the Progressive Farmer, um, I've had several people kind of reach out and ask kind of more in-depth how I did it. And um, since then, there's been some people that say, hey, I've kind of started working with another uh, guy that's going to be retiring in the near future, and uh, I think we're going to try and do something similar, which is kind of the goal. Um, nothing against uh, big farmers, but it's nice to see young blood uh, and just, you know, have a family on the farm and it's a good lifestyle. And, um, if you do it right, you know, it's uh good for everybody. So that's kind of why I want to try and help people. And, you know, if they have a side job, you don't need a ton of acres to make a living. And, um, uh, so, uh, we've had a lot of good feedback on it.
0: Absolutely. You have a great story. I mean, I, I'm not shocked that you're getting a lot of interest from it and hearing from a lot of people. That's great to hear. Let, let's talk about how are you using cover crops. So what, what was your big motivation for implementing cover crops into your system?
1: Well, the guy I farmed with Keith, he was doing some rye for several years, trying it. And I seen it just looked like there was a lot a lot of benefits to it. Um, so I kind of jumped in head first a little bit. A couple of years ago, I did eighty and uh i felt like i did about everything wrong that you could do wrong but it turned out really good the beans were in the mid 60s and the beans that were not in cover crop yield the same so i knew i didn't have a penalty there um but i just i really like the ground cover uh we're pretty flat up here so erosion is not really a huge huge issue for me um more of just weed suppression is my biggest goal uh and along with just overall soil health um the rye to me almost seems like a, like a tillage path almost because the root systems are so so huge. Um, so when I strip till for my corn, I strip till my soybean stubble. I noticed the last couple of years when I did it, I'd be going all day long at like five five and a half mile an hour. When I get into that ground that had that rye in it that that previous year, I would speed up at least half a mile an hour to three fourths of a mile an hour. So to most people that's not much, but to a farmer if you can not change anything and speed up. Um, you know, you got good soil, uh, tilth or whatever you want to call it. Um, so I, I, just think there's a lot of benefits to it. Um, this spring I noticed all my neighbors had standing water in their fields and I went to my field, which was the lower field and there wasn't standing water. So I feel like the percolation, um, for the water was much better. Um, I don't have that, that hard compaction layer from light field cultivators. And, uh, I also enjoy not having to use as much diesel fuel or have a huge tractor, my main tractor is only 260 horse that I strip to with and plant with. So that's kind of nice not needing a 500 horse tractor and to go along with the payments and the diesel fuel.
0: Yeah, you mentioned weed suppression as one of your top motivators. What kind of impact have you seen from cover crops? Have those helped a lot with cutting down on weeds?
1: Yeah. Um, the last couple of years, um, we did a lot of non GMO beans and our market's kind of gone away. So we switched to E3s this year. But last year, I think with everybody, we had a lot of water hemp issues and there's just nothing you could do with it between the dry weather. But uh, my 80 acres, it was a half section. I did 80 acres of rye, and those, the 80 acres was spotless. Like, I don't think you could have found a water hemp out there. And the rest of the field was typical of everybody else or worse. And uh, it was noticeable enough. I had people calling by or driving by, and they'd call and say, hey, what's going on? How come that one side's so clean, <laughs> you know? So uh, I was really impressed with it. So that weed suppression was really good, and I – I learned a lot. Uh, we did some. The big thing was to keep it tall, uh, let it let it grow out so you get that nice mat for weed suppression. Uh, but especially with chemical costs taken off this year, uh, that just really uh, intrigued me even more to try and push the cover crop a little harder. And if I could skip a second post pass and or skip a post pass in general, uh, that adds up pretty. I mean, depending to what products to use, I mean, you can beat up $20, $30 an acre really fast on a post pass. Seems like so. If you can avoid that, that's that's a lot of money in the bank. And then, like I said, with all the benefits underground that you can't see and you can't really put a dollar amount to, I think it's kind of a a win win all the way around. So it just takes more management, and it's different, and it's kind of uncomfortable if you don't know what you're doing. Because um, I mean, I, I felt pretty uncomfortable because it's a lot easier just to do it the way you've always done it. Uh, but like I said, it's it's, it's kind of fun, but kind of uncomfortable too to try stuff new because you know you don't want people uh, laughing at you, but I think I'm
0: gaining though in the right right direction. Yeah, it sounds like you're having some success with it. Uh, someone once told me that uh, you know, when you get out of your comfort zone, that's when great things happen. So it sounds like that's happening yeah. for you with with cover crops. So let me ask you this what What are some of the biggest lessons you learned from your first few years using them?
1: Well, like I said, for height, um, we've done some stuff where it, we didn't let it get tall enough and we terminated it too quick because we're in non GMO beans and uh, any hint of roundup is not very good on those. So, uh, we're, so where we only let it get to about a foot tall and terminated it. Uh, I feel like we got probably half, half the weed suppression I would have wanted. Uh, but when I got, let it get, you know, over a knee high mid thigh, I felt like our weed suppression was way, way better. Um, and, and it's really scary because it looks terrible out there. Like it's hard to see your beans and you're literally just doing it by faith. Uh, but it does work out. Um, but that was kind of my biggest thing was getting it taller. Uh, in the past, we rigged up an old oat feeder on our haggie. We have a small DTS 10 haggie. And we had an oat feeder out the back. But we could get about 15 to 18 rows um, at a time with it, spreading that right in standing corn. And that worked pretty good for virtually costing nothing. Uh, but we hated running down stuff. And... Um, I just, this last year we seeded it after harvest and I really couldn't, besides having that early growth, I really couldn't see a lot of difference between them. And, uh, it's just, it's a lot more work using that haggy. Um, cause like I said, you worry about running over corn and now with the higher corn prices, you hate to be knocking ears off when you got five and six dollar corn, um, uh, doing that and stuff. So, and like I said, also, uh, I don't really worry about the erosion as much for that early growth in the fall. So I've had really good luck where it barely grew at all in the fall, but come spring, once that snow's gone, that stuff just takes off like a rocket, and it really starts growing, and it looks good. This year, I got a little nervous, and I put my residual down, and I learned, I doubt—I I, I, kind of learned if you put your residual down, you might as well kill the, the rye because it pretty much stunted it. Because there was areas where I didn't put residual down, and the rye kept growing. But where I put my residual down, which worked really good, um, it just stunted the rye, growth. the rye just quit growing. So I did learn that, which that was really interesting, and I had no clue that was gonna happen. Because um, I planted my beans in a rye that was about six inches tall, and that planted just beautiful. And then I let it grow for a couple of weeks, and then I went out there and put my residual down, because uh, I had a few pockets where the rye stand wasn't as thick as I liked, and I wanted to make sure I kept the weeds out. So I just sprayed the field, but that was the one thing I learned last year, was my residual uh, will just stop your growth
0: let's burn a quick time out and thank our sponsor verdesian life sciences they have a special message for you at verdesian life sciences we believe that supplying healthy water and soil for the next generation is just as important as supplying efficient nutrients for every crop farmers grow for us sustainability and profitability go hand in hand that's why we call ourselves the nutrient use efficiency people we have dedicated ourselves to providing prescriptive nutrient use efficiency solutions that improve plant uptake and reduce fertilizer losses, helping preserve the environment and make the most of your investment. Learn more at VLSCI.com. Now, back to the podcast. Yeah, so you mentioned that you use the high boy. What other equipment have you used to seed cover crops? And and what pieces of equipment do you like the best? And which ones maybe have you had some issues sure. with?
1: Well, so we have the old hay and we, uh, we rigged it up where it runs through our Raven box. So we, we had to manually calibrate it um, to figure out. We were trying to get 50, 60 pounds to the acre, uh, but we, we rigged that up on the back of the Haggy. And uh, that worked really well. And then, like I said, last year I still used the Haggy, but I just went out there after we combined. Um, I probably should have got out there sooner, but it was a few weeks went by and then I went out and seeded it. Um, and that worked really well. But I bought a similar seeder just like it at an auction. Um, last year i didn't get around to using it yet but i bought that and that's like a full style so i'll be able to just put that behind any of our old tractors and uh, just kind of go out there and count rows and it should should do about the same thing get 16 16 rows at a time or so um and that that works really good for a very long budget. um i think when i get my cover crop more fine-tuned i would really like to get like a gandy or some of those there's a lot of different styles um, like an air seeder and mount it to like a toolbar that's like 40 feet wide. Um, so then you're getting the hose drop down and doing it after, after harvest. Uh, I'd really like to do that, um, but I'm still kind of experimenting on timing. And then of course the farming, nothing's the same year to year. Um, so every year is different, but I feel like I'm to something. But when I get it more polished though, I would like to invest in more of like a, an air seeder style um, application.
0: Yeah, those air seeders, uh, those sound like they're pretty popular right now. What um, it sounds it sounds like overseeding. You're big into overseeding. Tell tell us about that and the success you've had with it.
1: Yeah, um, I know a lot of guys use drills, and I just don't have a drill, so we just started doing that over the top. Um, there's been years where uh, Keith used like a rotary hoe, and uh, after he seed it, he went in with a rotary hoe, and we found that really didn't make a huge difference. Uh, I mean it disturbed the soil a little bit. Um, vertical tills work too, but it just seems like for speed we've been really happy with fields drive over the top and uh, apply that cover crop. Um some guys will use a vertical till also and that works really good too. Um but in the past we've gotten by really good with just using just using that over
0: the top, I guess, for speed. like I said, not having to buy extra equipment. Gotcha, gotcha. And then uh so what, what species have you experimented with? You mentioned rye, obviously. Uh, any other ones come to mind?
1: Um, yeah, mainly rye. Uh, we tried some oats here a couple years ago, but I think it was so dry, my residual chemistry in the soil, the oats are really, really uh, picky. Rye will almost grow on anything, but the oats, they just did not grow at all, so I was kind of bummed out. Um, I'm hoping to try that more uh, since I didn't put residual down with my post-pass. Um, I like to do oats with my corn, so that, that's my plan for next year is to try and get oats put out here next spring and let that grow a little bit and then terminate it in my corn um that's kind of my plan that's what i'd like to do um and and maybe add some uh add different things to my rye i'm not sure yet. i try and keep it simple uh and i don't want to change too many things from year to year so i kind of know what's working and what's not but i would like to add species to that i know a lot of guys have more success with different species um but i'm working on that one so i'm not, not really sure what else to try yet but
0: Well, here we are. It's already the middle of August. I can't believe it. I know you're a busy guy. You're out driving around right now in your car. Uh, What's kind of on your um, to-do list here in these next few weeks in in terms of cover crops or something new you're looking to uh, implement on your farm? Well, I'm
1: kind of scouting fields. I'm going to do some pan testing on some soil and uh, get like a pie pan, put dirt in it, the topsoil, and then uh, seed some oats in it and then uh, water it and see if it grows kind of so instead of learning my hard lesson i learned here a couple years ago where the oats didn't grow so i'm going to do that and hopefully if that's a green light then i'll start looking for a source for oats um that's kind of my plan uh and i'm probably going to just start checking fields and kind of see where i want to do stuff at. Uh, i'd like to do a lot some plots where like i'll do half the field with cover crop and half without so I need to do a little better job of laying out what my test is going to be instead of just kind of going by the seat of the pants. I want to try and kind of map out what fields I want to do what in and start looking for some seed source. I've talked to a few guys on some rye. Um, last year, two years ago, we grew rye. Uh, the guy farmed found that he grew 80 acres of rye for actual seed production. And that was really interesting. Um, we didn't do it this year, but we might look into doing it again in the future um it yielded quite well and it was kind of interesting to see something out there besides corn and beans um but otherwise i'm just kind of getting ready for harvest trying to plan stuff you know you can't plan enough it seems like um but kind of just same old same, just trying to learn and grow and uh, all my tests i try to do something where i learn something um it's pretty easy to get out there and just change stuff constantly but i really want to try and learn and see what works and what didn't work and find out why it didn't work so uh, i try not to do uh think same things over and over
0: again. Uh, I tried to, anyways, but it always happens, you know? Yeah. Well, you. I mean, it sounds like you're getting ready to make a lot of changes. You talked about wanting to maybe look into uh, to an air seeder and experiment with different species. Uh, what about planting green? What, what's your experience been like in that department?
1: Yeah, I've had really good luck. Like I said, it's kind of one of those scary things, because a couple of years ago when I first started that ride, we uh, planted it in the standing corn, and by the time By the time the time came to plant our beans, that rye was, I mean, mid thigh high. It was tall. And uh, it was scary. I went out there and planted it. I mean, I couldn't see the ground. But I I planted it and had real good luck with it. Um, Made sure the closing, the biggest thing was the closing wheels. We have the spike closing wheels on our planter. And you need to tweak those a little bit. um, And also have downforce. I think if you're going to plant green if it's going to be very tall, I think you're going to want some sort of downforce um, for sure. But that's kind of what Titan green is great though. Like I said, it's scary, very scary. Like you wonder like, what in the world am I doing out here? You know, the grass is taller than your hood almost on your tractor. But, um, it just, the biggest thing is I can tell anybody is don't judge it by looks. Cause, uh, last year we were out in fields and I honestly thought, man, I wonder if I should disc these beans down. And those are the beans that did 65 bushel. So, they they looked very sketchy, <laughs> but uh, they yielded really well. I mean, the combine doesn't lie. They yielded well, and my ROI was very very complex. Like I, said, I just I didn't have near the chemicals, uh, and I, like I said, I believe that rye does so many. There's so much so many benefits to that
0: rye that you can't really put a dollar amount to. Yeah, especially with the the nutrient scavenging you mentioned, input reduction. That that's huge. It seems like a big motivator for everyone right now.
1: Yeah, and. This year, I really tried stepping up my tissue sampling, and I this is the first year I tissue sampled beans. I've done corn in the past, but I did some beans that had rye in it this this spring, and it was part of the field. So I, I I did it where there was rye, and then I did it where there wasn't rye, like fifty feet away. So it should be pretty constant. But the the tissue samples came back a fair amount higher in the areas where the rye was. So I don't know. i I'm, I'm hoping to do it more next year, but. I would, I would have to, I hate to assume, but I would think the rye is scattered stuff and it just could come back higher because the same, same variety bean, and it was about 50 feet apart. I went over to the edge where I had rye or I didn't to try and get a fair sample. And, uh, like I said, the numbers were higher. So I was, I was impressed with that. And, uh, I think even like future years, like where I had rye last year or now, uh, those numbers were a touch higher. And I normally fertilize stuff pretty similar, to I get one corn blend, like a removal rate corn blend. So it's not like that part of the field would have been uh, treated differently. And my um, tests were fairly close. So I mean, within a hundred feet, it's hard to hard to blame anything else besides. Uh, like I said, I think that rye picked up some of that nutrients, pulled onto it, and then slowly released it like it's supposed to do. Um, and last year, I guess another thing I forgot to mention that. Uh, when we had that frost, I know like on the radio, everybody was saying, oh, you got cold cover crops, you're in trouble. But mine did the opposite. Like it got cold, but it was warm earlier. And I think the tall cover crop trapped the heat to the ground. And I I did not see any stand reduction Or our fields that didn't have cover crop, they had stand reduction in it from that frost. I believe it was last summer. So that was another one of those things where, man, if something happens, you got to just keep trying it because it's never the same. But I really have not had any negatives with cover crop, besides you uh, you just second-guessed yourself a lot, and you're like, eh, isn't that crazy? Because, <laughs> like, in my area, we're, we're pretty black land up here. I mean, guys really like to rip and field cultivate and field cultivate. which, uh, nothing about that, that works for them, that's fine, but I'm kind of the, I, I joke with people, I'm kind of the hippie in this area, because <laughs> when you're going through, you'll see tall through stocks, you'll see some rye, uh, no-till, and um i i feel like my yields are just as good as theirs if not better but uh, it goes back to the roi you know if, um, if i can spend twenty dollars on rye cover crop and save twenty dollars on chemical i'm all for that because i personally don't enjoy spraying it takes a lot of time and uh, costs you a lot but uh, it's all the benefits you get out of it too so it'll be really interesting in the next couple of years i want to keep testing stuff and adding it to it and uh, just see but i really think that root growth underneath and the weed suppression i think will be a big deal because uh these weeds are getting smarter by the day and um i just i think weeds are going to continue to be a problem so if we can get those uh get those weeds kind of suppression a lot better i think we'll be in the, a lot better i think
0: yeah absolutely well james i know you're a busy guy so i won't keep you much longer but anything else you'd like to add um, or share with our listeners before we let you go
1: um, well, my advice is just try it. Uh, don't, don't do the whole farm. Like, if you're eat it, you gotta either yourself to do 10, 20 acres and go out there and seed it. Uh, you, you don't need anything fancy, like dig out your grandpa's oat seed or something like that and get it kind of fine tuned and try that or, or have something with a drill. Just go out there and try some and, uh, take note of it, take pictures and then check it constantly and then, then see what the combine tells you. Um, the biggest thing is don't get, uh, get down by looks. Cause like I said, sometimes it will look, especially if you're used to everything being black, clean and great. you'll see your cover crop. You're like, man, this is crazy. But, uh, like I said, the numbers talk. And I, I just really, uh, encourage people to just try, try some. You know, you're not going to be out much if you do 10, 20 acres, but I think you, I think you'll like it. And, um, if you ever have any questions, I'm on, uh, I have my personal Facebook page, James Hep. Um, anybody feel free to shoot me a message or, Um, or you can maybe post my contact info too on the podcast but i'd be more than happy to uh, encourage people or answer questions or if i don't know the question or or the answer i might know someone who does too so the biggest thing is just just try stuff Uh, get outside your comfort zone
0: and that wraps up this week's edition of cover crop strategies thanks again to james hep for joining us and thanks to our sponsor verdesian life sciences for making it possible Until next time, for all things Cover Crops, head to CoverCropStrategies.com.